to our truckers ministry, I asked him to kind of throw some statistics my way to help give a snapshot of what goes on. Just this week, 39 truckers from 14 states came through our truckers ministry. Isn't that great? It's just neat to see God using something in such a profound and expansive way. I give the Lord praise for that. I have a message that is driven today by three things that I want to lead into it with because it's really different. Um, This past week, O.S. Hawkins wrote an article that stirred my thoughts and joined my thinking to a conversation that I had had recently with a young lady. This young lady, not from our church, had come to me for some counsel and in contemplating marriage began to pour out to me the struggles that she had had in high school and how she had fallen into a kind of promiscuity wherein she felt that she had literally sold herself for attention. This article by O.S. Hawkins spoke about how so often we get together on Mother's Day and, and, and the first scripture we break out is, uh, is Proverbs 31, and which I think is great, by the way, so I don't want to diminish it. But very often we break out Proverbs 31 um, in such a way sometimes that when we walk away, having read about this Proverbs woman, many ladies walk away feeling they don't measure up or hopeless or unable or incapable. And I think that's driven by the third thing. So the first thing is this article that O.S. Hawkins wrote about this approach to Proverbs 31. The second thing was this conversation that I had with this young lady having done what she did and now trying to contemplate. How do I ever do ministry now? How do I do marriage? How do I do things right having done things so wrong? And then this pervasive supermom syndrome that seems to ache in the hearts of many women who struggle just to keep up, juggling, challenged, trying to live up to different standards that seem to be changing and subjective and intangible and having frequently a feeling of inability and diminished self-worth and never measuring up. And I started pondering that and cycling it through my mind and I thought one of the things that we may fail to do is be really redemptive in our theology of motherhood. Because when we preach Proverbs 31, we we raise the standard really high. We talk about this woman who's up in the middle of the night laboring and, and all of these things with it, and we see that that is a result of many, 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 many years of sanctification and walking with God and discipline with God. And so sometimes when we hold that standard up, a mom can walk away saying, I will never measure up. What about me? What about the hopeless one? What about the one who blew it? What about the one who has messed up? What about the one who 
just has never felt worthy. And as I pondered that, I thought, God includes stories in the Bible to help us approach things redemptively and scripturally that point constantly to the need for Christ and redemption and grace. And one of those stories is found in Joshua chapter 2. So I'm going to ask you to turn there. It's a surprising story. I'm going to read through it, and, and I'm hoping that it will immediately cause you to say, what does this have to do with Mother's Day? I hope that that's what will kind of flow out of your thinking as a result. So Joshua chapter 2. Let's jump right in and look together. We're going to read through the whole chapter because the storyline is important to grasp fully. Joshua 2, verse 1, Then Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men as spies secretly from Shittim, saying, Go, view the land, especially Jericho. So they went and came into the house of a harlot whose name was Rahab. And they lodged there. And it was told the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, men from the sons of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. And the king of Jericho sent word to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who have entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, Yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they came from. And it came about that when it was time to shut the gate a dark, that the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hidden them in the stalks of flax, which she had laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued them on the road to the Jordan, to the fords, and as soon as those who were pursuing them had gone out, they shut the gates. Now before they lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land, and that the terror of you has fallen on us, and that all the inhabitants of the land have melted away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt. And what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sion and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. And when we heard it, our hearts melted, and no courage remained in any man any longer because of you. For Jehovah, your God, He is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. Now, therefore, please swear to me by Jehovah, since I have dealt kindly with you, that you also will deal kindly with my father's household. And give me a pledge of truth and spare my father and my mother and my brothers and my sisters with all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. So the men said to her, Our life for yours, if you do not tell this business of ours. And it shall come about that when the Lord gives us the land, that we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. Then she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was on the city wall, so that she was living on the wall. And she said to them, Go to the hill country, lest the pursuers happen upon you 
And hide yourselves there for three days until the pursuers return. Then afterward you may go on your way. And the men said to her, We shall be free from this oath to you which you have made us swear, unless when we come into the land you tie this cord of scarlet thread in the window through which you let us down. And gather to yourself into your house your father and your mother and your brothers and all your father's household. And it shall come about that anyone who goes out of the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be upon his own head. And we shall be free. But anyone who is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head if a hand is laid on him. But if you tell this business of ours, then we shall be free from the oath which you have made us swear. And she said, according to your words, so be it. So she sent them away, and they departed, and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. And they departed and came to the hill country and remained there for three days until the pursuers returned. Now the pursuers had sought them all along the road, but had not found them. Then the two men returned and came down from the hill country and crossed over and came to Joshua, the son of Nun. And they related to him all that had happened to them. And they said to Joshua, Surely the Lord has given all the land into our hands, and all the inhabitants of the land, moreover, have melted away before us. Let's pray. Father, on this sweet time of recognition of moms, I pray that the redemptive nature that you have as a loving, holy, redeeming God, most clearly stated and provided to us in the work of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, We praise you for your nature. And we thank you for this story of hope for those who have failure in their lives. And I pray by the grace of Jesus that you speak this into our hearts today, that we may rejoice in your redemption. In Jesus' name, amen. So often when we talk about what kind of person does God use? What kind of woman does God use? We immediately go to somewhere like Proverbs 31 and say, if you will do all these things, if you have all this together, then then you can make yourself usable to God. And we fail to see that so many of the stories of the Bible, in fact, practically all of them are stories of redemption where a person is taken from where they are and what they've done and brought into a relationship with God, and God blesses them not because of a level of deeds that have attained them some standing with God, but because of their genuine personal faith. And so we want to answer with three statements today from the story of Rahab. What kind of woman does God use? Let's begin letter A. God uses one who does not allow past failure to restrain personal faith. One who does not allow past failure to restrain personal faith. This woman is clearly stated what she is. She is a prostitute. She is a harlot. In Bible times, prostitutes were tolerated all over the place, never seen as something treasured, cherished, or valued. They served either a religious or physical function that served the ill state in the communities. 
Some had given their lives to gods and goddesses who it was thought that they were served by this kind of activity. Others simply for profit and others out of force went into this kind of profession. We don't know what drew Rahab into such a profession. We don't know what made her enter this lifestyle. The background is not given to us, but we know that the Canaanite culture fostered this kind of thinking. The Canaanite culture was rife with the idea that gods and goddesses were satisfied with the base desires and sexual function of human beings, and it was really sad how debauched they became. And so we hear Rahab in the middle of this Canaanite culture tied to something that would even in those cultures be tolerated but not valued. Here she is. A life of nothing but promiscuity. The word prostitute is so tied to her name that of all the times that Rahab's name is ever mentioned in the Bible, only a few times is the word prostitute not directly attached to it. And so she was labeled, she was marked, this is what she was. And it was clear that she practiced this in such a way that visitors coming to the city would even know a place to go to, to kind of hide under cover. And that is what she provided for these spies as they arrived. And in a sense, her life was nothing but a sales pitch of human flesh and a sad state of affairs. She had heard about God. She knew that God was coming to judge them. She had heard how God acted in Egypt and how He had proven Himself superior to all the gods of Egypt. The stories of the plagues and then the final crossing of the Red Sea had leaked out of Egypt and moved northward into the communities of the Canaanites. And they had heard that there was a God so powerful that the gods of Egypt had to submit to Him And he was so powerful that he could take a sea and he could dry it up and let people walk through it unharmed. She had heard the stories. And these stories had provoked her thinking. This was a God who was coming to judge. It was a God who had judged Egypt. It was a God who had judged other Canaanite cities. It was a God who had come to two kings, powerful kings, and wiped them out. It was a God whose judgment and wrath were moving steadily from the south to the north, and they had heard that that God was going to overtake their territory with His judgment and His wrath, and they had heard how this God operates. He operates under a thing called Karim. The destruction of all the inhabitants of the lands that he was judging. And as these stories crept northward through messengers and travelers and storytellers, they had reached the ears of a harlot. And she had heard about this God. 
She knew that her lifestyle was a lifestyle that would fall under his judgment. And that that impending judgment had crept so close to Jericho that all of the people in Jericho were living in what was called heart-melted fear. They trembled knowing that this God was coming to judge their city. And the Bible says that their hearts were like wax melting and their knees were shaking so that they had lost all courage and all confidence. And here is a lady whose life was nothing but in that God's eyes a failure and a rebellion to His design and His desire and His commands. And here she sat pondering. One of the most unique things about Rahab is that she understood a particular aspect of God's nature that was surprising. This God was a redemptive God. This God was a forgiving God. This God was a saving God. And so... She was surprised. Listen to her description. It's stunning. In fact, when you read the theology of Rahab, you find out that it is superior to the theology of the Israelites and their understanding. Remember when the spies went out and 12 spies go out and they see the land and they see the inhabitants and they come back and they give a report? And notice that it was ten of them whose hearts melted, seeing the inhabitants of the land. But Rahab, seeing this mighty God, makes a statement that's incredible. Read with me. Come down, verses 8 through 11. Now, before they lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, Listen to this. I know that the Lord has given you the land. This is a personal faith that's astonishing. She sees God as the one who determines boundaries. As the one who conquers peoples. As the one who is a warrior and mighty and unstoppable. Her personal faith is not diminished. It is not restrained by her personal failures in the past. She sees him as one who is able. And so she begins to pour out. She says, And that the terror of you has fallen on all of us, and all of the inhabitants of the land have melted away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites, which were beyond the Jordan. And by the way, when you look at Israelite history, that's the beginning and the end of the period of the wilderness. It's sort of the two caps on the ministry of Moses. It says in verse 11, And when we heard of it, our hearts melted, and no courage remained in any man any longer because of you. Listen to this statement, because it's phenomenal. For Jehovah, your God, He is God in heaven and on earth. 
Now, for us today, that's not a huge theological statement because most of us grew up with that. But in this period of history, people generally thought that gods were territorial. That they traveled with a people and that they only had reign over certain parts or territories. She makes a statement that Jehovah has no territory that he is limited from. That he reigns heaven and he reigns earth. She has turned from her past failure and placed personal faith, not only that God is, that he is the reigning supreme deity in heaven and on earth, but that she can personally trust him to save her. This is incredible. The spies didn't have this knowledge that God has given her. Only two of them understood the depth of what she was saying. She has turned in repentance from past failure into personal faith in Jehovah God. But it goes further than that. Let her be. What kind of woman does God use? One who does not allow present fear to inhibit practiced faith. She is threatened by the king of her land. She could be considered a traitor. She could be considered a conspirator. She could be considered someone working with the enemy. And so she takes the risk because of her faith in God. Look in verses 2 through 6. It was told the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, men from the sons of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. And the king sent word to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you. So here is this knowledge. She's in trouble. These guys are in her house. She's welcomed them. And she has placed her personal faith in God, regardless of her past failure. She has turned. She has embraced God. And now there is an intimidation coming. See, this faith that we find in verses 8 through 11 existed before the actions and the behavior of verses 2 through 7. It was because of this personal faith that she was able to overcome the present fear of rejection, of punishment, even of death. If they were to come and to search her house thoroughly, she would be caught And she would be put to death as a traitor to the king of Jericho. She does not allow present fear to inhibit practiced faith. It's very interesting. I don't know if you remember, and we'll get to it in a minute, but Rahab is mentioned three times in the New Testament. God sets her front and center in Hebrews 11 as an example of a person who was saved by their faith. And the way that he describes it is, in Hebrews 11, that she welcomed the spies. In James, 
as James is clarifying the relationship between faith and works, he mentions that Rahab hid the spies as an act of faith. And so what's happening here is that she has present fear. She could lose her life. She could lose her comforts. She could lose her income. She could lose everything. But her faith is such that it overcomes the fear found in the present situation and allows her to practice her faith in a tangible way. She welcomes and hides the spies. Taking care that they're not outed, taking care that they're not harmed, taking care that they're not revealed. She takes them up and at great personal risk, hides them in her own place. And so here is a woman who does not allow past failure to restrain her personal faith. She does not allow present fear to inhibit her practiced faith and let her see. This is one who does not allow possible failure to prevent proclaiming faith. She's about to take a great risk. She's going to strike a deal. She's going to strike a deal with these guys, and here's the deal that she strikes. You see it in verses 12 and 13. Now, therefore, please swear to me by the Lord, since I have dealt kindly with you, that you will also deal kindly with my father's household and give me a pledge of truth and spare my father and my mother and all my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them and deliver their lives, our lives, from death. Now, where is this possible failure linked to proclaiming faith? She's going to have to take a really big step now. Why? Okay, she makes a deal with the spies. Okay, guys, here's the deal. I spared you, you spare my family. Spies say, let's shake on it. It's a deal. Put this cord in and don't tell our business, and we're obligated to save everybody in your house. What do you think? Well, that's probably a pretty easy trick from there. Think about this. She now has to go and proclaim her faith in Jehovah to every member of her family. The only way they'll be saved is believe her. She has got to go and convince every one of them that when the Israelites start marching around the city, that every one of them have to pile up inside her home and no matter what happens, they have to trust that Jehovah will spare them And so she has to go and make a proclamation of her faith in Jehovah. Remember, these aren't Jehovah worshipers. These are people that are caught up in a whole mess of Canaanite gods and God practices and all of the things tied to it. They're seeped and steeped in the horrors of Canaanite culture. And she has to go and sit down and say, Dad, I need to talk to you. The other night, A couple of spies came to my house. Now, if you're the father of a prostitute, you're probably not going to take a lot of advice from her. You're probably going to be very embarrassed about how she has spent her life. But she's going to have to sit down and say, Dad, something's happened to me. This God, He's different. He is God in heaven, 
and he is God on earth. And I have given everything I am and have to him. I'm risking everything for this one thing. He can save us if we trust him. She's got to explain that to her mom. She's got to say it to her brothers and sisters, her cousins and aunts and uncles. She has to risk them outing her as a spy because all they've got to do is go and tell the king she's guilty. Hey, my cousin just came to me and she's the one that hid the spies. She just confessed it to me. King, you need to take care of her because she's conspiring with the enemy to help them beat our city. She has to risk everything to make the profession of the faith that she now possesses. She is risking possible failure. Because all that has to happen is any one of them telling her. And so she begins the process. Mom and dad, brother and sister, aunt and uncle, nephew and niece. Listen, there is a God whose name is Jehovah. He is the one who parts seas and conquers kings. But there's something neat about this God. He saves people even when they don't deserve it. And He was willing to spare me from the destruction that's coming. And He offers that salvation to you, mom and dad. To you, brother and sister. And here's the condition. You've got to all come to my house. And no matter what happens, no matter how it goes down, you have to sit inside this house. And you have to trust this God to save you. So you see a lady moving from past failure to personal faith. You see her moving from present fear to practiced faith. And you see her risking possible failure to proclaim her faith. So how did God use Rahab? Four simple ways. Number one, He protected the spies by her. Her faith saved the lives of these two men and the plans of the Israelites to come. And to overtake this city. The Lord used her in her weaknesses and failures. Her past and all of her sin. He took her and he used her to protect these spies. Two men's lives who would have been lost. Second, the Lord used her to preserve her family. Go to Joshua 6 and look what happens. It's really beautiful. Joshua 6 tells the story. Go all the way down to verse 20. Joshua 6, 20. You know the story? The conquest of Jericho. They come in. They march around Jericho. What happens? Well, we pick up in verse 20. So the people shouted and the priests blew the trumpets. And it came about when the people heard the sound of the trumpet that the people shouted with a great shout. And the wall fell down flat so that people went into the city, every man straight ahead, and they took the city and they utterly destroyed everything in the city, both man and woman, young and old, ox and sheep and donkey, with the edge of the sword. Could you imagine that? 
We can't even fathom a destruction like that. Where every living inhabitant in just a few minutes is wiped out in the judgment of God. But look. Verse 22, And Joshua said to the two men who had spied out to the land, Go into the harlot's house and bring the woman and all she has out of there as you have sworn to her. So the young men who were spies went in and brought Rahab and her father. She convinced him. She witnessed to her dad and her dad was delivered. And her mother. Here is a woman who hours before was laboring as a prostitute and hours later is laboring as an evangelist. Nothing but the redemptive kindness of God can explain such behavior. She convinces all. Look at what comes. Her brothers and all she had. They also brought out all her relatives. Do you see what happens? God used her to save her family. When she turned and trusted Jehovah, was there any idea of all the ramifications that would come with that? Her family would be saved. She would have to convince them at great risk. And here they are, all huddled up. All these people around. Woo! Shout! Trumpets blow! And everything falls except one place. One house in the wall is left standing. And everybody who's in there is saved. Canaanite. The people that would be under the judgment of God. Those under the ban. Saved. Because one woman turning from sin and embracing Jehovah God by faith gives her testimony. And they believe her. And they're saved. Number three, the Scripture goes farther That Rahab is actually listed as an example. When you get to Hebrews chapter 11, and you get to James chapter 2, you get this incredible event. You start off with these these people. you got Abel, and Enoch, and Abraham, and Isaac, and Jacob, and Joseph, and Moses. And you got all this list, man, these hard hitters, these big names in faith. And all of a sudden, we get on down into chapter 11, and it says... And by faith, Rahab. And God has included in this hall of fame of faith this one lady who in this moment of understanding turned from her wicked ways, embraced this loving and redeeming God, And saved her and her whole household. This is incredible. This is so beautiful. That the Lord then 
picks her up and sets her in Hebrews 11 and James 2 and says, this is the kind of person God is looking for. You never expect that, do you? That this is the kind of person God is looking for. This is the kind of person we want to marginalize. This is the kind of person we want to have a conversation about. We want to do just like is done in Hebrews and James. If we say the word Rahab, we just have to say prostitute. Rahab the prostitute. Rahab the prostitute. But that is held up to us as a picture of the nature of our God. He is a Redeemer. When we see Jesus come on the scene and flesh this out, He turns and rebukes the Pharisees and He says to them, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are running to the kingdom of God in front of you. And even though you see it, you will not turn and come to the King. But I hope at some point now, that you've tried to keep the first question in mind. And that is, what does this have to do with Mother's Day? Why would we even bring such a person up? I mean, we got the reasons that that you mentioned this article you read about, about how maybe we wrongly address the redemptive nature of God sometimes, and maybe overemphasize things. And, and, and this young lady that you talked with and, and what she had been through, Pastor Bart, I kind of understand where you're coming from. And in the super mom syndrome and the, and the ladies that live under that, I kind of understand, what, what's the connection here? I'm so glad that you stayed with me on that. Because Rahab met a guy. See, when, when Rahab was brought in, the first thing says is that her family was set outside for a time. They were set outside the tribe of Israel. Because they were coming from Canaanite culture and Canaanite background, they, they just kind of set them outside. But there is a strange statement given to us in Joshua. It's given to us in chapter 6, verse 25. However, Rahab the harlot in her father's household, all she had were spared. And then it says, and she has lived in the middle of Israel to this day. She met a guy. His name was Salmon. Kind of like the fish. They got married. They got married and she became a mom. They had a little boy. I don't know if you've ever met their little boy. He's in Scripture. Uh, Their little boy's name was Boaz. And their little boy married... Another foreigner. Their little boy, Boaz, married Ruth, a Moabitess. They had a little boy named Obed. 
And Obed got married and he had a little boy named Jesse. And Jesse had a bunch of boys. And the youngest one's name was David. You see, the harlot was the great, great grandma of David. And this redemptive God chose to give us these words to open the New Testament. The book of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. To Abraham was born Isaac, and to Isaac, Jacob, and to Jacob, Judah and his brothers. And to Judah were born Perez and Zerah by Tamar. And so Perez, to Perez was born Hezron, and to Hezron, Ram, and to Ram was born Amminadab, and to Amminadab, Nashon, and to Nashon, Salmon, and to Salmon was born Boaz by Rahab. God drives way out of the way to open the New Testament to make something clear. He can use anybody. His redemptive nature is so powerful, so strong, so forgiving, so inordinately, hugely loving that He can sweep a harlot off her feet and make her in love with him and pass through her womb the line of the one who came to save us. She became a mom and a grandma and a great grandma. And the Lord chose a woman with a horrible history to display this particular aspect of who He is. God is love. And to any of you, man or woman, but especially you moms and young women and middle-aged women and older ladies, and somewhere in what has happened to you is something that you think makes you unable to be used by God. I want you to be refreshed today and to know that this God we serve is a God who condescends to love sinners and to forgive them, and to give them new purpose. There's nothing as glorious as the repurposing of the body of Rahab from that of a prostitute to that of a bearer of the line of Christ. And you know what's so amazing? She didn't even know the contribution she was making. She had no idea that in that simple faith, that evening with those two spies,
everything was changing. And I think that if we're honest, there's a lot of Rahab in all of us. That every one of us have in some way prostituted who and what we are to someone for something. And God in His infinite mercy has condescended to come in the person of of Jesus Christ and to enter through the womb of a virgin who would be falsely accused and to be born... And to live humanity perfectly as we should have as a substitute for us in life. And to die as we should have as a substitute in death. And to be raised from the dead on the third day proclaiming the approval of God the Father on God the Son. In order that sinners like you and I could be washed clean. And repurposed for the King and His kingdom. Would you bow with me? Let's start at the simplest place. It is possible that you are here today and you're at the first place that Rahab was. You've never expressed personal faith in a saving God through Jesus Christ. Your past failure is haunting you. It's holding you. It's captured you. It's it's enslaving you. And you can't seem to break free. But there is a God who is reigning in heaven above and on earth below. And He is so powerful that He can take you and change your heart right now. And I invite you to do as Rahab, to turn and to place your faith in Jesus Christ. No one will ever, ever love you like He loves you. No one will ever save you the way He can save you. No one will ever promise to be with you the way that He can be with you. God has sent Jesus to save sinners. And I'm inviting you this morning, turn as Rahab, and don't let past failure restrain personal faith. Trust Jesus today. Some of you are at the second place. Present fear has gripped you. And you're not practicing your faith. You're in a moment where something has you paralyzed. The opinion of someone the work of someone, the influence of someone, and you're paralyzed and you're not practicing your faith and you know that you're disobeying God. And it's bugging you day and night and the Spirit of God is vexing you. He's he's convicting you. Today would be a great day to turn and say, whatever you want, Lord. I know I've, I've come to that place of personal faith, but I'm not walking in practice faith. I repent. I've let sin enter. I turn. And I trust you. Some of you are afraid that your past failure is prohibiting your 
proclaiming your faith to your family. But I want to tell you something, believer. Your family can't get to heaven without Jesus. And they need to know Him. And just as that destruction was sure that was coming upon Jericho, and that there was going to be salvation nowhere else but inside that promised place of Rahab's home, sure enough, there is a coming judgment on this whole earth. Every man, woman, boy, and girl will be judged. And there is only one safe house. It is to be in Jesus Christ. My brother, sister, would you implore with great urgency your family to come to Jesus. Your spouse, your children, your parents, your brothers and sisters, your extended family, your neighbors and neighbors, would you implore with them as Rahab did, risking great possible failure to make a clear proclamation of faith? Would you tell them? And in the end, someday, someday, your story is going to be told. It is. It's going to be told. Like Rahab's can be told now. We can look back and we can say, whoa, (laughs) God was using her to protect the spies and was using her to preserve her family and to provide an example. But wow, we didn't know that God was using her to produce a legacy. You may be making the decision today that has long-term consequences. Mom, go ahead. Trust Christ. Obey Him. Believe. You never know what's going to come from the good decisions you make today. Would you do that? As God stirs your heart and pours hope through Christ to us all, would you stand? Would you come? Follow Jesus. Just as I am without one but that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou bidst me come to thee, O Lamb of God. I 
come desperate to be rescued. I come empty to be filled. I come guilty to be pardoned by the blood of Christ the Lamb. And I'm welcome with open arms, praise God. Just as I am, just as I am, I would be lost, but mercy and grace. My freedom bought, and now to glory in your cross, O Lamb of God, I come I come broken to be mended. I come wounded to be healed. I come desperate to be rescued. And I come empty to be filled. I come guilty to be pardoned by the blood. And I'm welcome with open arms, praise God, just as I am. I come broken to be mended, I come wounded to be healed, I come Come empty to be filled. I come guilty to be pardoned by the blood of Christ the Lamb. And I'm welcomed with open arms, praise God, just as I I come wounded to be healed. I come desperate to be rescued. I come empty to be filled. I come guilty to be pardoned by the blood of Christ the Lamb. And I'm welcome. With open arms, praise God, just as I am. And I come broken to be made. 
Just as